Would you open God's word this morning to Psalm 123? We'll be reading verse 1 through the end of the psalm, verse 4. And as you turn uh, your Bibles there, if you are visiting with us, we're so glad you are here. If you don't have a Bible, we encourage you to grab one of the Bibles provided in the chairs in front of you. You may find this passage on page number 517. And if you don't have a Bible, if you're visiting with us and you just don't have a Bible, uh, we would encourage you and we would be glad if you grab the Bibles in the pews, one of them, and take it home and read it. We would love for that to be a gift from us to you. Also, as you are opening uh, God's Word to Psalm 23, uh, 123, um, I just want to recognize a friend uh, who uh, I've reconnected with a few weeks ago when I was preaching at the Romanian Baptist Youth Association Conference in Charlotte, uh, Vasil uh, from Florida. He decided to come and visit this weekend uh, from Florida. He is here with work, and we're glad, Vasil, that you made it here and that you are able to worship with us. And we have some other Romanian friends here as well visiting this morning, so we want to welcome you all. This morning, as we are looking at God's Word, we continue uh, our sermon series through the Psalms of Ascent. And uh, this morning, we are looking at Psalm 123. And this is God's Word for us this morning. If you have a Bible, you would be helped if you open it and follow along. A song of ascents. To you, I lift up my eyes. O you who are enthroned in the heavens, behold, as the eyes of the servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maid servant to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes Look to the Lord our God till he has mercy upon us. Have mercy upon us, O Lord. Have mercy upon us. For we have had more than enough of contempt. Our souls have had more than enough of the scorn of those who are at ease, of the contempt of the proud. Amen. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. Would you join me in prayer, asking God to bless and uh, use the preaching of his word for our hearts this morning. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for your word. We praise you that you have spoken to us through scripture and that you continue to do so today by your spirit as this scripture is open before us. We pray that you would open our hearts as well, that we may be sensitive and eager and willing to hear your word and apply it to our hearts. We pray this for the name of Christ and through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. This Psalm 123 is short. The first time I read it, it's like, wow, just four verses. Uh, this will be a short sermon. Well, this message is, even though it's a short psalm, is powerful in its brevity. The last verse of the psalm gives us a clue about the situation that has given rise to this very short psalm. And the situation, the clue that we get from the psalm, from the last verse of the psalm, is that God's people have experienced significant contempt and scorn and that it has been going on for a long while 
Now, the exact setting uh, uh, in which the psalm was written is unclear to us. What exactly did the people of God experience significant contempt or scorn? And when have they experienced it for a long while? Some Bible teachers think that it was referring to the time of Nehemiah, when the Samaritans who were left in the land uh, kept ridiculing and putting stumbling blocks to the remnant of Judah who came from Babylon to rebuild the city. Now, if you read Nehemiah 4, uh, which also is the book that our Sunday school, one of our Sunday school classes is studying through the summer, uh, if you go to Nehemiah chapter 4, you will pick up on the language of contempt and despising that the people, the remnant of God, was experiencing. Other Bible teachers think that this time of significant contempt and scorn that the people of God experienced was during the time of the Babylonian exile, while they were actually still away, far in a foreign land. Others think it was written during the time of the minor prophets, when the ungodly people and the, the rich people of Judah or of Israel who are ungodly in their proud arrogance uh, treated the others, especially the godly people, with contempt and scorn. We see that in the book of Amos, for example. It's unclear exactly when the historical setting of this psalm uh, took place. But what is clear is that the people of God have experienced contempt and scorn. And what is also clear in this psalm is that it teaches us how God's people should respond when they are the target of contempt and scorn from other people. Now, we should first of all define what is contempt and scorn. Contempt is a word that refers to several behavioral attitude or attitudes. It involves disrespect, depreciation, denigration, despising, ridicule, or even hatred. At the heart of contempt is the looking down on others. It's treating others in disrespectful ways, as if they're not worth much, and showing it particularly through verbally harmful ways. Now, you know the experience of contempt, particularly when you are the target of it. You know when other people look down on you and respond to you, speak to you, treat you in a way that comes across at the very least, whether it's intentional or not, comes across in a demeaning way. The presence and the reality and the experience of other people looking down on you. That's at the heart of experiencing contempt and scorn. And the presence of contempt 
in our lives shows up in any human relationship. There is no human relationship that is somehow safeguarded, insulated from the danger of contempt. Uh, listen to a few other verses in Scripture that speak about this reality. Proverbs eleven twelve, Whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense, but a man of understanding remains silent. The language of belittling your neighbor is a language of expressing and, and giving contempt. When the prophet Micah describes how bad the spiritual level of Israel has gotten, he identifies contempt within the family relationships among the people of God. Listen to Micah 7, verse 6. For the son treats the father with contempt. The daughter rises up against her mother. The daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men in his own house. The reality is that treating other people with contempt can happen even in the closest of human relationships within the family. And this is why Scripture speaks with great clarity against developing the against the danger of developing contempt towards others, treating others with contempt. Listen to Proverbs fifteen twenty. A wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish man despises his mother. The point is that the attitude of looking down with contempt, the, the, the danger, the temptation to ridicule others, to mock them or to make comments that make them feel worthless, uh, that can happen in any human relationship, including our familial, our family relationships. So friends, contempt can happen among married couples. It can happen among friends. It can happen in the workplace. And it certainly shows up, and you can count on this, it certainly shows up in the attitude of the world towards the people of God. And all of us at some point in our lives have experienced and have been on the receiving side of being treated with contempt. It's amazing how God has put in each of us antennas that pick up the signal of contempt from others very quickly, very easily. You know the one antenna that is not working very well in us? The antenna of giving contempt or treating others with contempt. But this morning, let me ask you, are there people in your life that you are aware of that are treating you with contempt? Are you in a season of life in which there are some relationships, whether very close in your own household or further out in your workplace or in your neighborhood or just in, among your circle of friends or even in this spiritual household, in, in the family of God, 
that you feel that others are treating you with contempt. That you feel put down, looked down upon by others. Or can you think of the last time uh, that that has happened to you? When others look down on you, how should you respond? This psalm is written for that occasion. This psalm is written to help the people of God, to help them understand and train them, realign their instincts, how to respond when others look down on us. The main point of the psalm this morning is this. When others look down on you, look up. When others look down on you, look up. Look up where? Look up how? Well, this psalm will show us. This psalm has two stanzas. And each of those, these stanzas will teach us an important lesson. And that's going to be the outline for the message this morning. The two points come from the two stanzas of this psalm. And the first one, the first point of how to look up when others look down on us. Point number one, look to the Lord with humble dependence. Look to the Lord with humble dependence. This is found in verses 1 and 2 in our psalm. This is the starting point of the psalm, actually. If you even look at verse 1, the very first few words of verse 1 starts with a phrase, To you I lift up my eyes. O you who are enthroned in the heavens. When others look down on you, where do you look? Where should you look? The world will say, look above your circumstances. Just ignore what's around you. Just look above your circumstances. Another advice the world would give you is, look above the people who are hurting you. Just look to yourself as being above the people are hurting, who are hurting you. Don't stoop down to their level. Look above them. The world knows how to offer us recipes, how to deal with the people who look down on us. But the Bible's recipe is look to the Lord. In verses 1 and 2, the author refers to the eyes, to our eyes, four times. Why? Because the eyes here represent our attention. The eyes, the looks, where are we looking represents the direction. When others look down on us, our natural tendency is to look to the one who looks down on us. Our tendency is to look back at them and to begin looking down on them. As if we putting ourselves above them would help the situation it never helps a situation. Never. So our temptation is to look up at the one who treats us as if they are above us. And we want to pull ourselves up and show that we are above them. But this psalm is challenging us from the very first two words. To you, I lift my eyes. Oh, friends, when you look down, when you're being looked down on other, by others, 
Where do you look? Consider, consider the attention of your eyes, the direction of your eyes. Now, why should you look up to the Lord when others look down on you? Verse 1 tells us, because the Lord is enthroned in the heavens. This is the reason why the psalm challenges us to look, to look up to the Lord, because He is above all. He truly is above all those who look down on you. You're not above them. He's above them. Uh, reminding yourself of God's reign in the heavens can help you resist the, the temptation to respond sinfully when others treat you with contempt and look down on you. The, the majesty and the throne of God is medicine for our souls when our souls ache with a pain of contempt from others. But how should you look to the Lord in such times? The first stanza is not merely telling us where to look to the, up, namely to the Lord, but how we should look to Him. And the answer is with humble dependence. We see in verse 2, uh, two illustrations, two images, how our look to the Lord, the looking up, should happen. And the two illustrations are introduced with, by the words as. As the eyes of the servants look to the hand of their master. That's the first illustration. The second illustration, as the eyes of a maid servant to the hand of her mistress. And the point is, so our eyes look to the Lord, our God, till he has mercy on us. Oh, friends, these illustrations need some explanation, especially today when we don't have the relationship of, of master and servants uh, around us, especially not in the West. In ancient times where masters had servants, the relationship between masters and servants um, was not merely a relationship in which the masters gave the commands and the servants executed the orders. That was not the only relationship, the only direction of that relationship. Masters had the obligation to provide and protect the servants that were in their households. So in a master-servant relationship, uh, the masters were not merely privileged to give the orders. The masters were responsible to provide the shelter, the food, the provisions, and most importantly, the protection. The servants were part of their households. They were the responsibility of the master. So the masters in, in ancient times served as protectors of their servants. And the psalmist is looking at that reality, at that relationship, and it finds in that reality, in that picture, something valuable to hold on to as as we are taught how to look up to the Lord. And the point of these illustrations, both two illustrations, the point of the illustrations is that we should look up to the Lord. Our eyes should be so gazed on Him as the eyes of the servants are looking at the hand of their master. How did that happen? What was the point of the servants and the lesson to learn from them is that if you were 
in ancient times in the role of a servant, you had nowhere to turn to for protection except your masters. There's no gun rights. There's no rights for self-defense. You only had your only source for protection when others treated you with contempt was to look to your master. And the point here of these two illustrations is that the source of protection when contempt was assailing these servants, the source of protection was their master. They had to look to someone else for that protection, and it could not be themselves. It could not be their own resources. It could not be their own status. Their masters were their exclusive source for protection. So the psalmist drives home the application in a similar way. In a similar way, our eyes look to the Lord. Oh, my friends, this shows us that when we approach the Lord for help, when others treat us with contempt, we ought to do it with a heart posture and, and the kind of look that was in the eyes of servants looking to their masters with humble dependence, with exclusive dependence on the Lord. Friends, some of us can look to the Lord with a sense of demand, with a sense of entitlement, as if the Lord is our servant. If we get to call the shots of what he should do in our lives. This image is so powerful because it puts us in the posture of, of humble servants looking to our heavenly father as, as a master who is enthroned in heaven. Oh, friends, our dependence on the Lord should never be done with a heart of entitlement or, or demanding. We should not throw the Lord a spiritual tantrum tantrum as if the Lord owes us our demands. We lift our eyes to the Lord remembering that he is enthroned in the heavens and remember that we are more like his servants who have no source and resources for our protection outside of him who is our master. So when others look down on you, where do you look? Are you looking to yourself? Are you looking to the ones who put you down? Are you trying to look above your circumstances? Or are you looking to the Lord? And when you look to the Lord, are you looking with a demanding attitude or with a humble dependence on him? That's the first lesson of how we should respond when others look down on us. The second lesson we see in the second stanza of the psalm, look to the Lord with perseverance for his mercy. Look to the Lord with perseverance for his mercy. In verses 3 and 4, we see how difficult the situation has become. Twice in these verses, the author uses the phrase, more than enough. I wonder, I wonder if you 
saw that phrase. More than enough. Have mercy upon us, O Lord. Have mercy upon us, for we have had more than enough of contempt. Our soul has had more than enough of the scorn of those who are at ease, of the contempt of the proud. Oh, friends, the contempt and the scorn received by the psalmist and the, the people of God in this psalm has not been simply an occasional scorn. It hasn't been even a handful of times of contempt. And it hasn't been even a lot. It has gotten to the point of being more than enough. It's been going on for a while. It's been difficult. And they fought against it. They tried to resist it. But it got to the point where, you know, as we might say, enough is enough. What do you do when it's been long enough? What do you do? How do you respond? Have you been there? I know many of you have. I have. And here's the crazy part. This psalm is written at that moment. This psalm, this prayer was uttered in that moment when it's been going on long enough. And notice that even in those moments, even when it feels like you've reached the end of the rope, it is even in those moments that we're called to continue to look up to the Lord. And notice the medicine that the psalmist is asking from the Lord. Now, seriously, you think about, put yourself in that situation. You get to the end of your rope in, in, in being the target of contempt from others. When you feel like enough is enough, what would you ask the Lord for? What would you ask him? Here's what the psalmist is asking. He's asking for God's mercy. Twice in verse 3, the author is asking for the Lord to show mercy. The, the psalmist and the people around him are not taking matters in their own hands. They're not even asking for mercy from the people who treat them with contempt. They're asking for mercy from the Lord. How often when we feel the target of contempt from others, we're tempted to look to them and wish they would stop treating us the way they do and that they would just show us a little more kindness and mercy and favor. We're looking to people for mercy. I wonder if that wish reveals that in those moments, your eyes are really not on the Lord. Your eyes are on the people who are treating you poorly and badly. Sometimes God's mercy shows up in our lives by removing the cause of contempt from others. Sometimes God's mercy shows up in, in the change of heart that God works in the people 
who treat us with contempt. But sometimes, God's mercy shows up in our lives by changing our hearts towards the people who treat us with contempt. So when we've had enough, the mercy of God in our lives can be the the daily provision for continued strength to endure when you cannot change the other person. God's mercy can take both forms. I get it. Sometimes we really just want the first kind of mercy. Can you just get the people to stop treating us the way they do? Can you just get them to behave differently? Friends, sometimes the mercy of God is mercy to just help us continue to look to him and change our hearts and give us the the daily medicine for our souls so that we can continue to endure in the face of the contempt, so that we would not sin in response, so that we would not be pulled in the the same trap of responding with treating them with contempt, so that it begins now a war of contempt and, and we throw grenades at each other. God's mercy is what this psalmist is asking for, more than the mercy of the people who are engaged in the contempt. What characterizes their looking to the Lord, however, for this mercy is their perseverance. They continue to ask for it when it's been long enough. And I, I think the phrase, and this is just, my, this is just me speculating. You know, don't, don't take it more than it is. I just, I wonder if the reason why the psalmist is asking twice for God's mercy it's because he's expressed twice that the content has been long enough. In other words, I wonder every time he gets to rehearse, it's been long enough. In both times, the response is, I need God's mercy. The mercy of God is sufficient for all of the times when we feel like it's been long enough. As often as you feel it, as often you can ask for the mercy of God. The mercy of God is never shortchanging you, is never in short supply for times when others treat you with contempt. But why should you look to the Lord continually with perseverance for his mercy? This psalm ends before telling us the reason why we should look to the Lord for his mercy. It started, it gave us a clue at the very beginning because the Lord is enthroned in heaven. That's one of the clues we can look up to the Lord. But why look to the Lord for mercy when we are treated with contempt and scorn and ridicule by others? It's as if the psalm sort of stops at the end of verse 4 and you wish to say, that's it? Is there more? And if you keep reading through the Psalter, you get eventually to the prophets, the major prophets, and you get to the prophet of Isaiah. 
when we find out of one of the particular prophecies that the prophet Isaiah spoke about, about the God who has mercy upon his people by sending a suffering servant. And here is the description of the, of the coming, the promised suffering servant who would come to aid his people, God's people. Isaiah 53, 3, he was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised. And we esteemed him not. That's a language of contempt. We have treated God with contempt. You feel the pain when others treat you with contempt. When others make a comment or just give their looks or an attitude or behave to you in, in belittling ways and you know the pain of that. And the prophet Isaiah says, we have treated God's suffering servant in that way. But nevertheless, the Lord sent his suffering servant to bear and take upon himself our contempt so that through him, God would show us mercy. You want to see the mercy of God? You want to ask for the mercy of God? One of the greatest places to meditate on is the cross of Jesus Christ. And the way in which Jesus was spit upon, scorned, mocked, laughed at, beaten, crucified, left naked on a cross. Friends, there is no greater degree of scorn, of mockery, of contempt than the level of scorn and mockery and contempt that the Son of God has endured on the cross. And he was all for the sake of bearing the contempt and the burden of grief that our sins against God have triggered. And in that cross, Jesus also bare the contempt that we feel when others treat us with contempt. Friends, the reason why you and I can look up to God even when it's been long enough is because God sent His Son, His eternal Son, to become man, to be the suffering servant, to live the perfect life that none of us could live, and yet we are called to, and to die the death that we deserved. And yet, he would become the substitute in our place for all those who would turn away from belittling God, from treating him with contempt, from treating him with ignorance, from treating him as if, as if he's worth nothing. 
That is the essence of sin, treating God with that contempt. When we turn away from that and repent of our sins, Jesus becomes our substitute. He died in the place of all those who would respond to the Lord. And God raised Jesus from the dead. Friends, Jesus did not give up when he felt it was long enough. When he felt it was long enough, he asked the Father, Father, remove this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours. Jesus endured the cross, the shame, the mockery, and the contempt when he was way past the line of long enough so that you and I can find mercy and grace in God in Jesus Christ, whom God has sent for us. Oh, friends, you can look to God for his mercy, even when the contempt from others seems to have been long enough. For one, because Jesus understands what it means to cross the line of long enough. And second, because in Jesus, we actually get the mercy of God for times when others treat us by contempt. Friends, if, if they treated Jesus in this way, just be assured that the followers of Jesus will also be treated this way. We have no guarantee. If anything, we have been warned by Jesus. If they treat the Son of Man in this way, they will treat you also in the same way. The question is not when. The question is not, the question is not if. The question is when. And when that happens, are you ready? Do you know how to respond to the contempt of others? Friends, at the beginning of the series of messages from the Psalms of Ascent, I mentioned that this collection of songs was likely put together and sung by pilgrims going yearly to the festivals in Jerusalem to worship. And this was like their mini hymns collection that they would sing together on the journey as they would go to Jerusalem to worship the Lord. If that's the case, it's amazing that this mini collection of hymns, 15 hymns from Psalm 120 to 134, the Psalms of Ascent, it's amazing that one of the hymns speaks so clearly and so focused with a laser focus to, ha to help people respond well when they are being treated with contempt by others. I think it's a way for, for God to prepare his people, in the, even in the Old Testament, be ready for contempt. Be ready for being treated with scorn and mockery and others looking down on you. Sing this song for such times. This was part of their regular uh, hymn, hymn book, if you will. What do miserable Christians sing when others look down on them? Here's a song for such times. This tells us that we should not be surprised when the people of God are in a hostile environment. Whether it's an individual or the corporate people of God, I think this psalm speaks primarily to the corporate people of God. That's a setting of this psalm. Because the I turns into we and ours very quickly in the psalm. And it really ends on that corporate dimension of the we of the people of God. And there's an application for us 
today in the sense that the people of God now, today, especially in our culture, are no longer living in a majority culture, just like the people in this psalm. We are in a time in the history of this nation when Christianity is not the majority culture of this nation, and Christians will have to learn how to respond when the culture around us begins mocking us, laughing at us, putting us down for the views that we have on our identity of what it means to be a human being, on our sexuality, on our morality. Students, teenagers, as you grow into adulthood, uh, especially on campuses, you will feel the pressure by just making a comment about church or a comment about what you believe about a certain issue, you'll feel the pressure of being laughed at, scorned, and mocked. We need to be prepared as the people of God to know how to respond when the world around us will mock us and laugh at us. We must not live in such a way as to secure the admiration of the world at the expense of holding on to the Word of God. But I think there's a, sec a secondary application here that we can take because this caution against the contempt of the world is not limited only to the contempt from the ungodly towards the godly. There are times when such contempt can happen among the people of God. As we have read earlier in the, the Gospel of Luke, I want to I challenge you to think about this whole theme from the opposite perspective. Is it possible that others are praying or will be challenged to pray this prayer of Psalm 123 and they have you in mind as a source of contempt? Just because the main thrust of this psalm refers to the contempt from the outside world towards the people of God, we should, not, we should not be insensitive to the reality that contempt can happen amongst ourselves as the people of God. And notice the description of those who offer the contempt and act in contemptful ways, putting others down. Those who are at ease those who are proud, what does it mean to be at ease? It means treating things lightly. People who are at ease do not consider their behavior uh, and how that it will be judged. Such people are not violently, uh, physically violent necessarily, but they are careless in their words and their attitudes towards others. And they are arrogant and feel superior to others. This is why being at ease and go, being arrogant goes hand in hand in the psalm. Friends, pride in our own hearts causes us to treat others with contempt. It happens in our family relationships. It happens in church. It happens even during worship services. Remember the parable that our brother Paul read earlier from Luke 18? Jesus gives this parable of, uh, of two people going to worship, going to the temple, and one was bragging about his self-righteousness 
and comparing himself with this other dude, his other guy who was next to him, tax collector. It was looking down on him. And do you remember how Jesus introduced that parable? It's very telling how Jesus introduced the whole parable. He says in Luke 18, 9, he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Well, friends, I bring this up because contempt is a temptation for all of us, even when we show up to worship. Walking through those doors at the entrance of this place will not screen you off and there's no light beeping whether or not there's contempt in your heart as you walk in. We can't check for that and we can't stop you acting contemptful ways even when you come to worship. And the reality is that even in worship services, we can come to God thinking that we are praying to Him and we actually have hearts full of contempt and that we are actually the source of contempt for others, against others. Friends, so much of the common marriage struggles grow when we are not checking our hearts against attitudes of contempt towards, other, towards our spouses. Marriages would significantly improve if spouses would guard themselves against falling into the contempt, the trap of contempt against their spouses. It's very easy to say, well, yeah, but I feel the other person is looking down on me. Yeah, but when that happens, you should look up, not to the other person. Don't respond back to the same strategy. Don't fall in the same trap. Comparing yourself to others, feeling that you are better than others, makes you realize you don't need God's mercy. Pride is a source of treating others with contempt. And pride makes you feel like you don't need God's mercy. Well, friends, it is possible that others might be praying Psalm 123 in regards to you. Would you ask your family members if you're causing them to pray Psalm 123 with you in mind? That would make an interesting conversation over lunch. Do it after lunch so at least you can eat. Friends, here's the point. It's not sufficient for us to pray this psalm in regards to the contempt we feel from others if we are not willing to consider that we might be also the reason for contempt for others. May the Lord help us guard our hearts against the sin of contempt and against responding to the sin of contempt in sinful ways, returning the same, quote, favor back. When others look down on us, where do you look? May we look up. Look up to the Lord with humble dependence and look to the Lord with perseverance for his mercy. Let's pray.
Gracious Father, have mercy on us. For each of us in this room, the contempt of other, others is no strange experience. And it is very possible and likely that at times we too are the source of contempt against others. So Father, we pray and ask, have mercy on us. And enable our hearts, enable the, the eyes of our hearts to look to Jesus who has borne our contempt and our scorn. Show your mercy towards us in fresh ways. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.